Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we're back today uh, surrounded by experts uh, in the agronomy field. And uh, I thought this would be good. We don't have a... we sort of kind of have a specific topic today, but we don't honestly have a hard and fast topic because, again, this is kind of how I wanted to structure it because we've got some great guests around the table, some great minds around the table. And so I want to talk to talk through some things and get some thoughts from these guys. Um, but they've got so much expertise. If they want to go down a rabbit hole, I'm going to completely let them um, because I think we'll all learn something from it. So, all right. Let's go around the table and uh, everybody kind of give me an introduction. You guys have all been on the podcast before, um, but give me an introduction and then a, you know, a little year in review from 2021. What are kind of some of the things that jumped off the page at you from this past year? So Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, Jesse Surface, District 10, Southeast Missouri, Northeast Arkansas. Overall, we had a really good year, even across the board from all crops. Nothing really just sticks out. Uh, Biggest thing, harvest. Went really good early, and then we kind of got wet later with the cotton peanuts and kind of drug out a little bit. But everybody I've talked to has been very happy with even the less beans versus extended flex, uh, just everything. All right, Scott, you want to give us a little introduction and then a... Sure. I'm Scott Wilburn, uh, District Agronomist, uh, Districts 3 and 6 in Northeast Missouri, and then also down kind of outside of St. Louis towards uh, Owensville, south of the interstate down that way as well. Tough to summarize the year probably in a couple sentences. We, we, had a real, we had a real mixed bag in our part of the world, um, depending on where you were at. The, uh, I'd say the main, the main thing that really kind of overshadowed everything was just some, just some real heavy periods of rain. Um, we, we went into, uh, into June actually very dry, very hot, very concerned. Um, when it started raining, we were all sharing pictures of the rain and what are you getting here? What are you getting there? And, and we were happy about the rain that, you know, around the 20th of June when it kind of broke Yeah. and then it just kept coming Yeah. <laughs> and then it kept coming. And before it was over, I mean, we were mudding weed out in the middle of July and, um, a lot of, just a lot of corn that, uh, you know, a foot tall and, and you know, eight and nine collars at that height, uh, just stacked up, not, you know, still growing, but not, not growing like you wanted it to. And just, just a lot of stress and, uh, did a lot of postmortems after the season was over talking about corn in particular, just, uh, yields, uh, there, you know, there was some good stuff scattered around, but, but there was also just a lot of, a lot of disappointing yields. Um, and it's tough to, at that time, really, really, uh, know what, specifically happened but one of the things you could see and uh, in, in dissecting those dead plants even in october and november is is just that early stress that, that really really stacked those plants up uh, i think yeah. a lot of that carried through you think some of that uh, was like cool weather or I mean, I mean i remember you know like my corn planted early may should be fine but i mean it sat there very short for a really long period of time we sat through we had the and I'd have to really look at the calendar and know exactly, but a lot of this was tail end of June, first of July. Um, we had a lot of a lot of crop that just basically sat saturated. Yeah. And uh, a lot of a lot of orange, 
um, kind of orange leaves, you know, on the on the corn. I mean, right. a lot of things that are just telltale, telltale, uh, basically flooding. You know, you're you're looking at corn on a on a day that it's 95 degrees and it's and it's rolled up tight like it's bone dry while it's sitting in moisture. I mean, there's just no no respiration going on. Just a, just a lot of those. Just just a lot of stress early, yeah. and uh, you know, some positives though. Uh, the uh, you know the wheat went through that period too. And, uh, you know, I felt like we had a lot of wheat that was treated with, uh, with fungicide this year for scab. Mm-hmm. And um, I, think it, I think it paid big time. I was really concerned we were going to have a lot of wheat that we, that we could not market, um, similar to 15. And, and that wasn't the case. There, there were some pockets of that. And there were some loads that had trouble finding a home. But, but overall, we ended up uh, having a decent, decent wheat crop and being able to sell it. So Yeah. Um, beans were kind of mixed bag as well so told you i couldn't do it in two three cents that's okay scott that's that's okay that's the point that's the point of long format communications okay <laughs> all right kevin go for it yeah i'm uh, kevin moore district agronomist for districts one and two which would be northwest and north central missouri uh this year for us um it was we had some ups and downs uh, a lot of a lot of river bottom ground that we had some struggles with a lot of a lot of beans that had to get replanted after flooding. Um, you know, corn in that corn in those situations uh, not necessarily needed to be replanted, but uh, the, that excess moisture and lack of oxygen to the roots it it uh, created some long long term issues. But um, you know that that's that's just in pockets of that bottom ground that had excessive rains, uh, a lot of hill ground um, around, and then other bottom ground that did not see that kind of rainfall was, did very well, especially soybeans. I think across the board, we've uh, seen some of the highest uh, soybean yields um, ever for that area. So you think it, that was like good moisture through the season or was that, um, you guys were not as, you know, I think got everything in the ground very early up there. So that was that all kind of good target date, planting date type. That that was a part of it, but okay. I, I think more importantly, we we got those needed rains in um, August, uh, early September, uh, to kind of help help those pods finish filling. Yeah. So Mother Nature was was definitely um, on our side on that as well. Yeah, Jesse. Uh, I'll kind of add, we got very lucky because I think two weeks before, Scott, you, y'all got all your big rains. You go across central Arkansas and into Mississippi, they had all their big floods that we missed. Right. And we were just very fortunate, kind of like Kevin. There was nothing. We did have the channel get out one time, but didn't affect that many acres. So overall, we were just very lucky compared to a lot of places. Right. Right. And and I, I'd add up north, too. Uh, later, in, later in the season, we did uh, did start harvest. uh there in October, we did did uh, start getting rain, and it was looking like, oh, here we as soon as we can get harvest uh, done, it's probably going to be too late to get much fall work. Well, we we were wrong. It, we yeah. had about a two two week period that everybody was out of the field, but then the weather conditions were favorable. Harvest got wrapped up, uh, stayed kind of warm, able to get a lot of a lot of fall work done. So I I think. Uh, we're off to a good start come spring. Yeah. I think that's across the whole trade territory. It looked like we were going to be wet, and then yep. we all kind of got a little bit of time. That's exactly right. I mean, like like Kevin said, we had that one major rain event in October, and then 
I don't think it rained again until basically last week. Um, and so from a, from a fall work standpoint and just, it was very nice to see so many terraces built and waterways built and tile projects done. And a lot of lime got spread. A uh, lot of lime got spread. The th yeah. The, um, the, that's generally something that kind of gets done after the fertilizer and everything else. Just <laughs> cutting yeah. the back roads in Northeast Missouri. It was like yep. every other field had a pile of lime in it. Well, Scott, I think some of that and not to, not to get way off of what we actually talked about our subject was going to be today, but I think some of that was, um, there, you know, there's no supply issues or logistical problems or um, insane price hikes with, with ag lime, right? The quarry yep. still, my, the quarry still has a giant pile there. And so I think a lot of guys were saying, well, this is. Well, and I, and I was concerned about that because in, in, you know, it used to be, you never were concerned about running out of lines. The last few yeah. years, we did have situations like that with a lot of the quarries that at least that I've worked with, uh, which I always thought, how are we running out of line? Yeah, you would. But, but basically as, as some of these, I, I don't know all the ins and outs, but basically they crush and then they're done. Right. And it's, so it's not that they're, you know, they just don't have it available, but yeah, I mean this, I've, I've heard of some running low in the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. but throughout the fall, I didn't, I really didn't hear any of that. Yeah, that was, I will, yeah, I will echo that. I've, I did see more lime piles or scraped up lime piles in fields this year than I've seen in probably the past four or five years. So, I mean, it was good to hopefully maybe catch up on some of those yeah, applications. Get some stuff that's been on, on the books for a while. Right. Maybe clear the books out a little bit for, uh, for hopefully getting, you know, continuing to get some of those applications done. So, good. So, Let's transition to maybe what we wanted to talk about um, after we're already quite a few minutes in, but that's okay. Um, so if we have a, a any sort of misapplication, you know, a, some some sort of field diagnosis, that's kind of in your all's wheelhouse as far as what you guys do a lot of times on a daily basis, um, kind of during the summer. And so we all know that you know that mistakes happen sometimes, or misapplications, or the grower does something, or or maybe we as a custom provider do something. Um, I kind of want to dive into that. It's a, it's a topic nobody wants to talk about, but I think if nobody talks about it, then we never have the opportunity to maybe prevent some of those things. So let's talk about it today. Um, I kind of want you to go around the table and, and kind of tell me some of the most common things that you see as, as far as a misapplication in a field. Maybe it's wrong product, wrong crop, maybe it's wrong field. Uh, streaked something streaked up something skipped you know any anything like that so um, Jesse you want to start with that yeah I guess I get a little bit of everything but most of us have multiple applicators and some do been doing it for long enough that we don't have a lot of issues and then you get some new ones that they're just learning it's not nothing against nobody sure uh, probably more often than not I see is just not proper square clean out or not prime or even the other side of that they won't prime their booms and then so you got this big weedy stretch for 100 feet when they spray something uh, and of course we still get the extended flex mixed with extend and all that other stuff too uh, but the biggest thing is just communication across the board between growers your consultants your ag retailer it's just that's that prevents more than anybody will ever and i know we probably get on some growers nerves calling all the time and making sure but when you got a guy spraying 700,000, 1200 acres a day, he, he's got to keep up with it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and they're not, I mean, not that they were ever small, uh, small beans, you know, or yeah, no pun intended, of course, there. But, uh, but you're dealing with crop that's worth $1,000 an acre. Yeah. I mean, so 
you want to cover somebody's 200 acre field, I, I think it's it's prudent to ask the question multiple times to make sure things are clarified that everybody's on the same page, because um, nobody wants to be responsible for that $200,000 crop. No, for sure. So yeah, I, Jesse, I would say, you know, things have kind of changed since we've added Extend and we've added E3s. You know, when it comes to tank cleanout. What would you say is most of your tank cleanout probably still having residue from that camo being in a tank or so, or or are you still seeing a lot of these things, you know, where we have products like atrazine or, you know, one of those that maybe gets hung up to the boom, you know, in the end caps. So, yeah, know. and I, that's probably, with some of my newer applicators, that's probably, they don't understand, or say they use a certain pre for so long and it don't yep. hang up too much. Yep. And then we have a deal where we need to throw Valor or Metribuzin in the tank and they don't quite understand good applicator, but they don't understand what that actually does to a sprayer. So all of a sudden we've got a couple of fields here and there. That's got a little bit of deal. Growers right. unhappy. You got to deal with it. But I'd say that's, that's probably a lot. Of, and sometimes even the swapping back and forth from Dicama to enlist, they may end up keeping that sprayer a little bit cleaner. Right. Inadvertently just not knowing it because they know they have to get it cleaned out to do a good job. Yeah. yeah I, I would, I would definitely say that's a big piece of it is, is you get, you get comfortable spraying the same thing. And so you're like, oh, okay, I'm kind of in a groove. And then, like we said, I mean, even, you know, we run into issues with inventory issues and like, hey, we have to change yep. something up or something because, and then you're not used to that spray thing. And I will say now, some of my managers do good with like talking to Cody, but they'll get a list of beans that they're, they're going to run on this for trying to try to run on the same bean for a couple of days. Yes. So they are, so if we're coming out of one crop, well, okay, well, if we're spraying this, it's not going to hurt the beans. Let's roll over to these beans, get cleaned out, and then swap back to whatever. And just try to keep it easier on the applicator. Absolutely. Scott, you want to dive into it too? Yeah, I would just probably echo a lot of what Jesse just said. Um, the, probably one of the bigger issues this year was just confusion about traits. Um, you know, we've dealt with some of that. I mean, I've, I've looked at years ago, I mean, corn that was sprayed with lightning that wasn't an emmy corn you know um the roundup situations we used to have uh, so it's not new but there was a there was a lot of them this year there was a lot of in the soybean world just uh, just a lot of technology that really kind of came on hard in the last year or two and, and some guys were just confused mm -hmm. um in some cases that that was on us uh in a lot of them, in a lot of them uh, there was some confusion with uh you know, that the growers had. Um, it's a little more of an issue this year too, just because we were with, go back to the rain situation, mm -hmm. a lot of our, our posting was done late. And, you know, that's when you found out you had the wrong thing. And now all of a sudden it's the 20th of July, it's not the 20th of June. Right. Um, so that that made the, the situation even worse. Uh, you know, they're just, we, we did go in awfully late and had some, had some good results. We were, we were mm -hmm. fortunate with that, but, uh, you know, it would have been a dis different situation if we had those issues earlier. Um, right. Historically, the the big ones I would say the contamination. You know, those those are like like Jesse was saying. That's a big one. Uh, a lot of times, it's, it's not a large thing. It's it's a it's a place where you start. A place where you start after you sat for the you know the night. Um, the thing I really have been trying to drive home with guys is, is listen. That you know, a ninety foot boom. That's that's going to hold twenty five gallons. Um, you know, you get into these even larger setups, you know, there's even more. And so now you're talking two or three acres worth of uh, product hanging up in a boom right? Um, when you start. 
So that's that's a lot to flush. That's a lot. Even if you clean the rig out completely, if if you didn't get that much you know material pushed out of the boom, you you could still have contamination. Um, the uh, the other thing, you know, there's there's a lot of other avenues that we that, that we run into issues there. Um, it may not just be the uh, you know the, the sprayer may be cleaned out perfectly, um, but you've got a tender truck, you've got a tote. You've got sometimes these totes that we'll use that, that don't have a lot of agitation. You can have some some issues that, that may come come in there with a hot spot, uh, liquid. You know the, the problem could originate at the liquid plant. If you've got a got a veteran sprayer, but a uh, you know applicator, but newer guy at the liquid plant, you know you run into some of those same situations. How much you have to flush through. Um, so we deal with that, and those are probably the scariest ones in my opinion, because a lot of times when you discover that. Uh, you're running while, while when you find out you have an issue. Right. You know, when you get a call on a rainy day and you got time to kind of figure out what's going on, but when you find out you have an issue and that rig is still still rolling, um, you know, you have to get after that one pretty quick to make sure that you're not still causing a problem. So on the on the soybean trait thing, you know, I think a couple of you guys have, have talked about that. Do you think some of it was like the naming? Did people get – Confused between extend flex and just regular extend well, that we've had for ten years, you know, or not ten years, close to it. There, there was, there were some issues like that. There were also, I mean, I think sometimes I know we spell it stylized, we spell extend with an X, but I mean, I think people's minds are all you know extend and list mm-hmm. and start with an E. Yeah, you know, but, but I, I heard some names a time or two that aren't even traits. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think of one now off the top of my head, but you know. There was just a lot of confusion. Yeah. What, I, what I've encouraged our people to do is is don't give somebody a, a, a do not you know give a laundry list of do you have this 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 or this. Just simply ask what do you have. What kind and, of beans and, do you, you have? Know, you got to find a tag. You got to find something. Yeah. Um, we got different ways. We're and okay. you know we always encourage encourage folks to you know diversify what they plant. But <laughs> I think when it comes to that, yes, you got to know what you're doing. And yes. I will say I've kind of talked to some salesmen who do a good job and they tell the growers what they're going to plant, what they're selling them. But I'm like, you guys got to make sure they understand, are they getting enlist? Are they getting extend? Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of times it's not that they get it confused. They really don't know. Like this is what so-and-so dropped off. And this extend is what I planted. Plus, that's one I was told yeah. about at one point. Uh, what do you have? Well, I got extend plus. I said, no, you don't. Yeah. That doesn't exist. <laughs> that's not a thing. Uh, yeah. You know, GT fives. I think I was told by somebody once. Right. Right. So, that's not one. And from the grower perspective, I think it's it's important to, it, we all have a plan, right? We all, right now, I think roughly have an idea, well, this bean goes here, this bean goes here. We know that that plan, when things go, doesn't necessarily happen on that same schedule. And so having something or some system, whatever works for you, to be able to document exactly what you planted, where, and if you had a few left in the planter at the beginning of the field, this is why, like I said, with the diversification thing, I think that's okay, but be careful diversifying between soybean herbicide traits. For me, it was, you know, I had a, used our digital platform. I entered what I planted in what field. I did it for crop insurance, but that is also good for those kind of things. Like, hey, I planted at this date. I know I planted this number because... I wrote it down the day I was there <laughs> because if it was yesterday, I, there's no way I'd remember. So, um, but yeah, I think that's good. Just, just giving people like, Hey, what beans do you have? And if they have to go back and ask their seed person, 
I think that's fine. okay. Yeah. That's okay. We encourage that. Like that's fine. Let's just make sure or even we take know a what you take have. a picture of the tags as you're dumping. You know, yep. as you dump them, something like that. I know a lot of tags get burned at the farm and yep. and things like that. But take take some pictures. You know, those kind of things uh, will help and can help you out later. Because if you take a picture on your phone, you've got a you've got a time and date stamp on it too, so you kind of yeah, know so it's like it, yep, 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 exactly. I didn't mean to steal your time, Kevin. Oh, no, that's, that's <laughs> totally fine. Uh, un, you know, un, unfortunately, uh, the most common issue that we ran up in ran into in my area is the same as what Scott and Jesse talked about, getting some trait confusion, uh, wrong herbicide sprayed on, uh, or whatever, the herbicides that we use sprayed on the wrong traits. Um Definitely, I think a lot of a lot of lessons have been learned about how important that communication is. Um, I will add, we've kind of been talking about this problem being in soybeans, but uh, there is still corn out there that is not Roundup ready, um, and we've we've ran into that as well. Um, it's not as common because there's not a lot of um, corn that is not glyphosate tolerant, but it it is out there, and um, we don't want to. Always assume that all corn uh, can have glyphosate in the spray tanks. So no, that's a good tip. And there are be, I mean, there. I think there. It seems like anyway in the last few years, especially in some distinct regions um, of what we call our trade territory, there's more non-GMO markets or conventional type markets for some of that grain, and so it's it's put more of it back out there. I think than maybe there was even five or ten years ago. So it's a good point. Um, in, you know, in addition, um, in addition to the soybean trade issues that we've been been discussing, uh, you know, another another big one that's fairly common is, uh, you know, any type of nitrogen misapplication. That's something that um, you know just sticks out like a sore thumb, right? Not uh, you know once once that corn really starts growing and want to take that that nitrogen up rapidly, whether it's a plugged ammonia knife or uh, we're using a, a dry urea and there might be a chunk of fertilizer blocking blocking the rest from hitting the fans um you know all that kind of stuff and that's just things we need to be yeah we yeah weed as well um we just need to need to be uh aware of what's what's happening happening behind us in the machine for sure on that um uh, the whole deal with uh, uh herbicides getting hung up in the booms that that's always pretty common um fortunately for that that it it it, uh usually doesn't end up being too big of an issue when it's all said and done but Mm -hmm. it's fairly common uh phone call yeah it's just a couple acres but it's usually right along the highway or yeah all these complaints always end up to be right by the highway yeah Yeah. by the driveway i was gonna say it's all it's always right at the field entrance (laughs) right it's right there where everybody pulls in to stop to look at their field it's always the most yeah and that's and that's another thing i try to that's one of those little things that may not have a big economic factor, but one thing we really do try to drive home with, uh, especially with newer applicators, is you know there's certain things you've got to do as an applicator, and you have to do it somewhere mm-hmm. in the field. But yeah, pick, pick your places. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, one one positive I was going to say real quick. Yeah, go ahead. We're, we're talking on the negatives. Um, this was a year. Uh, I don't know how it was in your all's area, but when when the rain came and all of a sudden it looked like it was going to be real compact and it was the season, that's when I start worrying about contaminations and I start worrying about drifts, you know, things that happen when we don't have a lot of time and, you know, knock on wood. I mean, it was, 
you know, had pretty good, uh, didn't have a lot of those issues. You yeah. know, so I think folks are doing a good job of, of you know, paying attention to some of these things. Uh, um, a lot of removable uh, end caps, you know, been installed on a lot of our sprayers where you can really flush the booms good. Uh, yes. I think we're, yes. we're doing a better job and of as we switch trades, you know, trying to, hey, where else can we go before we switch so we're not yep. cleaning out all the time. And there's always that classic wrong field scenario. And I know, Scott, in your area, mm -hmm. there's some folks using kind of some new technology that mitigates that a little bit. You want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, quite a few locations have started to use the, the AgSync software. Um, and, and the short story of that is basically, you know, it's, it's going to guide you right to the field. Right. Um, you know, I want to, I know one of the, one of the neater stories that came out of that, uh, you know, we try to share a lot of equipment nowadays. Right. And, uh, we did, we did top dress it out of one location using a rig and, and the applicator, uh, from about an hour away. And, you know, she drove the rig over went straight to the field, never even went to the store, didn't get a stack of maps or anything like that. AgSync right. took her right to the field and I mean, spread for two days, knocked out a pile of acres and yep. never, and it, and it routed you yep. as far as, you know, what's the, what's the best way to get there. And yep. so it was, it was. And one of the better things I've seen from it is if you do screw up, it, it tell, and you know, almost right away because it, it automatically sends, um, from the grower side of things, it automatically sends me an email after they complete each field. And so I know what was in the tank and what went on there. So if this never has happened to me, but if it was something wrong, you know that day, essentially, that something happened there. You don't have to wait for symptoms to show up. And also um, from, a, from a field boundary perspective, you know, you may have six different fields at this farm that they're spraying and then they're going, you know, 20 miles away and spraying six different other fields. I mean, it's just how we farm these days. And um, it, it, if they miss one or those kind of things, um, hey, you, you know, I, I noticed you're already on this other farm. You missed this field back on this farm. I didn't get the email for that. Those kind of things are lifesavers and I, um, where that technology really shines in my, in my viewpoint anyway. So, you, you know, you're not out there looking for sprayer tracks through your crop. Like, well, did they get this one? You know, we've all done that. Well, and sure. I, we didn't mention it a while ago, but that happens. I don't know, every basis, probably more than you think of the field getting missed. And if you don't have a consultant there every week, it may yep. be two or three weeks before you realize it got missed. That's right. And then all of a sudden, those are normally easy to deal with too, but. Yeah, but you may have a bunch of weeds that yeah. turn off label in uh, two or three weeks. And then if it doesn't yield as good, then the grower's like, well, that happened. And it's just, it's just dealing with it. But, yeah. Yep. Exactly. I mean, I would much rather have the um, the kind of the data in the system that proves, hey, you know, one way or another, it's like this is what happened on this date, and it just it's it's very nice to tr track all that stuff. But all right, I didn't mean to get this way off topic there. Um, and, and you mentioned the showing up two to three weeks later. Um, I think that kind of takes me back to I was thinking about this when Kevin was talking about the nitrogen stuff. Um, those kind of things, just like missing a sprayer field, can be remedied a lot of times. And but sometimes we don't hear about them until later in the season. It seems like so. Um, I mean, I know if it's a field that you got a consultant or somebody in, but um, that's another thing I'd encourage: just pay attention to the entire field, not just the part that's up by the highway 
because um, sometimes there's so much custom nitrogen mm-hmm. application, not just by us, but I mean, I they're um, the grower owned and operated toolbars are not super common anymore, honestly. Um, like the I think retail is putting on the vast. It seems to be the vast majority of even anhydrous, and so. Yeah, if you're driving by your field and you notice a streak or something like that, may, just have somebody at least come check it out. Like it, that doesn't hurt anything. It may only be that one spot, and it may be no big deal. It may just be a wet spot, but yeah, um, for, take a look. Yeah, for sure. And the sooner, sooner those uh, types of things are brought to our attention, the that's more more time that we have uh, to you know kind of hit that optimum top dress window. To get you know get some nitrogen on if we can to kind of kind of correct that problem so it it if there is a problem at harvest it either won't be a problem or won't be as big if we've had an opportunity to correct it in season. Well, and we had one this year where random it was eighty acre field but there was twenty acres in it that was streaked up. Not they figured it out. I don't remember what it was, but the right. grower was actually looking and he called us and there was just a little bit off at the end, but he's like I appreciated y'all just going out there and taking care of it and me being able to come and yeah probably done us better that we've done it that way does everybody better i mean if from the grower side of that you'd a lot rather sell grain anyway um that's what that's what we're in business to do and and you're right uh, you know and corn and and even wheat to some extent too it's some of those things it's like you know you can you can make a lot of fairly we can make a lot of rescue applications in a lot of extremely tall crop anymore (laughs) Stuff that we did not have the equipment to do not that many years ago. So, I know on the anhydrous bars, um, several locations I work with have went towards, uh, there's some systems that you can install that that uh, basically run off of temperature to let you know if you have an issue at a knife. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, section, I suppose, would work as well, too. Right. Um, you know, we've been putting gas on for years, but, I mean, it's almost a 24-hour operation now when you... Mm-hmm. When you you know you get at certain times of the year and yep um, a lot of people in and out of machines and uh, you know the speed that we can do some of this if if you've got a got an issue you can get over a lot of acres yes have a, have a problem that's on a lot of acres so before you catch uh, it. those things are not foolproof uh, I know there's a Henniker model I think some of them are using I think there may be something else out there too they're not they're not perfect but they're they're one more thing um, you know you're still at least something that somebody can kind of watch and. Um, versus the old, you know, turn it on while it's out of the ground yeah. trick. <laughs> yeah. yeah and like I say, you're, you're doing this stuff at night. You're doing this stuff in different wind conditions, different, uh, yes. you know, it's, it's get early evening, kind of get that inversion period and you have some issues there sometimes too. So yeah, just, just another, another tool. Yeah. No, that's a good thought. They're not cheap, but for the money involved, they're, they're not that expensive either. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing before we kind of, um, jump off of this you mentioned something about um kind of you know making sure that spreading equipment can one of you guys it doesn't matter i'm gonna single you out kevin but anybody can do this uh just tell me very very generally um kind of how we make sure on a custom application and how does that on like a spinner truck for example where we're maybe top dressing corn um and how does that differ from um like a fertilizer buggy that some some guys might be reasonably familiar with as far as the ability to know what we're putting where well i uh i mean a big part in my mind is um you know just being able to look back behind you and see seeing that spread pattern Mm -hmm. i know uh 
Scott's probably got a lot more, you know, a lot more experience on the precision end and, and working on that equipment. And if, if you've got, you probably got some better ideas than I do. Yeah. Just having, uh, I, I think I've walked a lot of weed over the years, mm-hmm. uh, streaked up, uh, my uncle calls it John Deere wheat because it's green and yellow. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we usually like that. associate that with uh, with a spinner bed. Um, but, I, you know, even an air machine, if you don't have the uh, the deflectors set right um, and, and those kind of things, you can you can streak it up pretty good with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the main one is just you want you want stuff pan tested, right. um, you know, and if you've got it pan tested for uh, you know, putting on P and K at 80 some odd feet, and now all of a sudden you're you're running straight urea. You're probably gonna have to back off of that. Mm-hmm. So make sure it's pan tested. Make sure your fan speeds you know set right. I've, I've had that be an issue before. Uh, looks like you're not <coughs> not spreading very far, and you go back and look and find out. Well, yeah, somehow it got set to 500 RPM instead of you know mm-hmm. seven something. Um, the other one that really seems to play into to weed in particular will be uh, you know if you if you get windier conditions. You know that's going to affect that pattern. Yep. Um, so just don't spread when it's windy, right? But well, <laughs> sometimes that's just that's not not but, so feasible sometimes. Yeah, and then and then the quality of the, the urea. We use a lot of Super U anymore, which seems to to um, not only the other attributes of Super U as far as volatilization and everything, but just the product itself um, made here in the Midwest. And it's and it's you know it hasn't went through a dozen augers before we get it, and you have less fines. But you know the the worst situation is you combine say some dusty product with windy conditions and, and yep. now you've got streaked up weed. Right. Um, and so our newer application equipment, everybody is pushing that spread width and, you know, kind of spread pattern um, distance. Like, ah, can we spread it? I know we can spread it 80 feet. Can we spread it 90 or can we spread it a hundred? Um, and yes and no is the easy answer to that. But everything you just mentioned plays a big, big role in, in those wider spread patterns and it'll make it, you know, it just exacerbates the problem. If you have some problem from spreading, if you're trying to spread 90 or 100 feet or something, it's exacerbate that problem, I guess. And just to, for folks that may not know, tell them how you do a pan test. Um, so it's, it's pretty, it, it's not as technical as you would think. Yeah. I mean, we, we literally have pans there. I think they're actually like little kitty litter pans mm-hmm. um, that it has a uh, kind of a plastic grid pattern in the bottom that just is there just kind of as a kind of a baffle to keep fertilizer and hitting it from flying out. Right. And we space those out. It's been a while since I've done one. I think it's every six feet. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and, and yet you space them out the width of the, the pattern. So we'll, I think we'll put them out to like 120 feet cause you will cat, you know, you throw some yeah. quite, quite a ways and yet that accounts for your overlap. Right. Um, pro tip, if you're using a three wheeler, you take the middle one out. Otherwise, you run over that one. You only use it once. But uh, and then we have a set of uh, basically looks like test tubes mm-hmm. that represent each one of those pans. So when you're done, after you drive through there, you spread over the top of that, and then you just go down with a little funnel and you in- empty the contents into each each uh, test tube. And then you have a real nice visual there of uh, of what your pattern looked like. You can see if you're throwing further one side than the other. You can see if you're throwing. Uh, you know, there should, it should taper off because you count on, on overlap, um, you know, making that, that outside area. Um, so, so that's one of the things when you get into any kind of wind at all, that, that starts skewing that, Yeah. Uh, especially with lighter product like urea. Sure. So, well, sure. It's, it's something on that overlap when, you know, I, I have done a pan test, but it was years and years and years ago, but 
you know we had the had the pan set out at the spread pattern and and then went went down the middle and then came came back the other side and then around and the other side so that so that to see if that overlap is even extra overlap extra overlap or not or not enough so all those Mm -hmm. so that's what i try to do make sure they go each end yeah yeah and i would say definitely it's easy to do a pan test i mean you just explained it and it's it it doesn't take any time to make sure you don't just do a pan test for straight urea or you don't just do a pan test for your pnk blend you need to do a pan test for your straight urea you need to do it for your blend whether you have super you you know probably at least three different ones for not only that, you know your spread pattern width, but you know your RPMs may be different. Um, the place where you you know you set your fans. Hopefully, you don't have to adjust those too much. But but you know you need to be able to do a pan test for each every one, so you know those settings. So then you're not just guessing and saying, "Well, I threw my PNK blend 80 feet, so I probably need this crappy urea to be at 60 feet." You know, yep. you can actually know. Yeah, sure. And yes, and there is a stark difference between. Our equipment that gets pan tested often and some buggy that you go hook on in the parking lot of somewhere and i'm not singling out our buggies but i'm sure any buggy is going to be this way but <clears throat> some buggy that's 25 years old that somebody just beat through their recently dozed pasture um and reparked back in the parking lot and so the, the, there's a difference in and also the spinner pattern. beds we're using now we don't have the same opinion of, of them that we did of the spinner beds of 25 years ago that's correct i mean there was a reason that we spent the money we did on the air machines and 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 i know that we still we still use some of those as well but but these this newer breed of uh spinner it's it's a different yes yes it's it's just yeah the technology is just really uh, i remember uh we had a tour group from england come through mexico probably 20 years ago and they could not believe all the spinners and everything we had Mm-hmm. Um, buggies and everything like that, you know, because they had totally got away from that. And, and just shortly after that's when the, you know, new leader came out with the beds that a lot of us are using. And, and it was just, it was totally different what we could achieve as far as the pattern goes. I want to say a lot of the stores actually had a, a sign up, you know, about, you know, if, if you got a buggy that, you know, you needed to double spread mm-hmm. if you wanted to, uh, you know, if you were on pasture and wheat and and whatnot. I can't remember exactly what it was. But, yeah, yeah. You know, now, just I, not calling you out being the older one, but I remember being young and going in local MFA, and there was always a sign Do you about remember double that? spreading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of on, on all of them. It's just yeah. yeah. I was thinking yeah. it was almost kind of like, like a display. And for a long time, it was normal to double spread all your nitrogen products. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I said, like you said, just in the last you know That's however many years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those of you that don't know Scott personally, that happens um, fairly consistently that we call him out for being slightly older than the rest of us. That's okay. It just happened all of a sudden. Too. <laughs> it did. <laughs> One of these days we'll catch up to you, Scott. Yeah, we will. <laughs> oh, um, guys, I appreciate the insight. Is there anything that we missed on um, on kind of some some issues you guys end up being called out to or, or see that? Um, and I think, you know, we, you know, we talked a little bit about the automation and, and which is a form of communication between, between us as a retailer and, and a grower themselves, you know, just kind of, I think that's kind of a big take home point is really being in good communication with whoever you have that relationship with and um, conveying, you know, what crop is out there, what I planted, when I planted, 
next crops in the rotation just to make sure that yeah, we're using. Didn't, yeah, that can be a big deal, especially you know, getting some different crops. Yeah, well, I guess um, some of the, the soybean post products that have maybe a, a 10 or 12 month, 10 or 11 month rotation to corn or something. Yeah, anything with uh, Femesophen in it, so a prefix, uh, yeah, Fluxstar. Flux mm-hmm. uh, battle stars. I mean, yeah, that's a, got, you know, that's 10 months. So Right, so some of those late applications, like what Scott was talking about, that we end up making this year, you know, you got to watch some of those things, and it's like, okay, well, this is this field going to corn next year? Like we need to know all that stuff, and so just having that good open communication um, yeah. is pretty important. And following or looking at looking at the label, any product we're applying, and looking at those rotational restrictions is going to be going to be very important. That you know we talked about the femesophen. That's a that's a really common really common one. I think yeah. you know it's common enough that most of our locations uh, know not to spray that after July hits. Yeah. It's, just kind of a you know automatic that hey our plan was to use prefix but hey, we're not going to do it anymore sure sure yeah yeah the only other thing i'd say is you know we talked about tank contamination and we talked about you know spread patterns and stuff like that is there's a, we can fix a lot of spread pattern issues generally speaking you know if we get if we have some communication with it we can do our best to do at least remedy some of the spread pattern issues that may come across Tank contamination issues, sometimes, you know, you just can't fix those, but we can help at least have a conversation with Do our best to remedy that. But when it comes, especially these fertilizer things, if if we have a chance, we, we've got a lot, like you said, Adam, earlier, we have a lot of ability to try to do some remedies on that, whether that be top dress the whole field, you know, like this year, we knew that we had a bar that had a problem with a knife. We went back with a smaller bar. Um, use only one single knife and tried to fix those mm-hmm. in that area. So, I mean, there's we have abilities to try to fix things, especially when it comes to nitrogen. Yeah. yeah. Well, even on on these soybean issues that we talked about where the wrong uh, herbicide gets sprayed on the wrong trait, uh, I mean, replant, you know, unless we're just talking super late into July, but uh, there's, there's a pretty big chance that, you know, we can get, Still yep. can get get some green out of, out of there. Um, that way, you know that way those losses that need to be made up for aren't as aren't as significant. That you know we did have some situations where we were getting into July a little ways and went to went to replant and those replanted beans still yielded over forty bushel an acre. Doesn't always have to be a herbicide problem. You know there's you know if a field floods in early July. I mean that. That grower's probably probably going to want to replant to yeah. get what you know get what we can get as far as grain goes and sure. Well, one thing that helped us this year was just the value of the beans. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have to raise a whole lot of soybeans to be in the money. Yep. Um, you know, if we had seven dollar beans, you know, planting on the well, that's why I was just going to say something yeah. about planting. You know, planting something like that versus trying to take a a crop insurance claim is that. The value of the beans changes those those conversations I've significantly. Got one particular grower that they just got floodable ground, and he'll say, "I don't care if it's first August." He said, "I the way he's got his insurance set up, he said I'm better off to replant and get what I get to keep yep. my APH up." Right, that's and right. not take that hit. Right, yep. Because if you want to try to exclude that year, all right. Anything else, guys? We want to cover? I don't think so. I think we should just do this more often, Cameron, where we just force them to sit down and talk about stuff and not. I'll try not to tell us what you, not tell you. Yeah, I just want okay. you guys to sit down and, and talk and not tell us. I'm not going to give you any direction about what we're talking about. So, because uh, I think it turned out good. So I appreciate your all's time and 
insight as as always and uh i'm sure we'll have you back on here eventually before so, shannon gets back again though before oh, shannon yeah that's right that's <laughs> no problem there no problem there <laughs> well thanks again guys for your time and thanks thank everybody you. for listening thank you thanks for listening to made for agriculture email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com